0: My name's Steve, Steve Morris. Um, I'm here at New Day as part of the the team that lead the event. I'm here from Cape Town in South Africa um, where I'm working and uh, just overseeing the mission stream this week. And um, if you've jumped in, that's absolutely no problem. And if you've journeyed with us, that's also going to work for you. And we're just thinking about God's mission, what it looks like. We've done ch- one session on church planting. We've w- done one session on uh, evangelism and reaching our neighbours and speaking about the gospel. And, uh, and today's called Embracing the Poor. And uh, Natalie's going to come and uh, share with us and, uh, and be amongst us. And I'll, I've said this for everybody. And, and I don't just say the same thing because it's nice to say the same thing. What Owen has done and what we've done with this stream is look for real practitioners. And I only met Natalie a couple of days ago and then we sat in the same meeting together and much of what she was saying and and all of what she was saying, I, I was just like, yes, that's it, that's it. And that's also it because she's doing it. It, both in her local church and across the nation, she's doing it and, and working out for it. You'll have a chance to ask questions at the end, so if you're getting questions together during it. Um, but this is really, again, another practitioner in the room. So take advantage of the people that are coming and sharing their heart with you, Anna, and you're really going to enjoy it, Anna, and it's going to be great content here. I'll let her introduce what she does and why, but would you give her a nice round of applause, please? Lovely.
1: Hey, it's great to be here with you this morning. Um, so I live in Hastings I go to King's Church in Hastings and part of my job for the church is running uh, communications because I used to be a journalist but the other part of my job is running our social action projects so we've got eight projects Uh, some are our own church Uh, some we run with other churches in the town tackling things like homelessness uh, women who are pregnant who've got no way to support their baby when the baby arrives uh, tackling modern slavery food bank debt advice all these different projects And uh, I also work for Jubilee Plus, which is a national charity that started in New Frontiers in our group of churches, and that helps churches all across the country to engage with the poorest and the most vulnerable in our communities. And if you want to know more about Jubilee Plus, we've got a stand just over there. So afterwards or this afternoon, come and say hi to us. Um, We'd love to talk to you a bit more about what we do and how we can help you. But as for this morning, I want to dive right in. The title... um, of this talk is embracing the poor but I want to talk a bit about the mercy of God because actually God's mercy is what drives us to embrace the poor and I want to start by telling you about a friend of mine called Joe. Uh, my friend Joe was killed in a car accident uh, six years ago so she was in her 30s she was cycling to work she worked for a church and a lorry basically reversed over her and killed her and You know, the lorry driver really had no excuse for what happened because he had rear view mirrors. But he also had one of those cameras, you know, that you get in some cars that show you exactly what's behind you. So there's no blind spot. So he should have been able to see that Joe was on a bike behind him. Also, there were other drivers who were like beeping their horns and yelling out their windows at him to stop. But he didn't see any of it. He didn't hear any of it. He was completely oblivious to it until he basically reversed over her and killed her. And so the driver of the truck was arrested for causing death by dangerous driving. And he said he was guilty because he really had no other option but to say that. And so he went to court and in the court case the judge basically said to him, yep, you've been found guilty and I need to warn you that when we come back for sentencing you are facing a custodial sentence. You are going to go to prison. What happened after that was that my friend Joe's parents wrote to the judge... And they said to the judge, listen, we're Christians and we want you to show mercy to the driver. We don't want you to send him to prison because it won't bring our daughter back. So please, will you show him mercy? So when they came back to court for sentencing, the judge read out this letter that my friend Joe's parents had written and said, because they've asked me to show you mercy, I'm not going to send you to prison. So he didn't go to prison. He did lose his driving license. So there were consequences for his actions, but he didn't go to prison. He was spared prison because my friend Joe's parents said, please will you show mercy? Now, this story was covered in um, the local press, so the local newspaper, but also national newspapers covered it. So I think it was the Daily Mail that had the headline, deaf driver um, shown mercy. And the reason it makes headlines is because that is so rare. Even as I'm telling you that story, maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I'd do the same thing. If I'm honest with you, I don't know if I'd do the same thing. If the most precious, one of the most precious people in your life was taken from you, in the middle of your grief and your sorrow and your absolute heartbreak and heartache, to actually say, will you show him mercy, It's an astonishing thing and it's so rare in our society And that's why newspapers cover it when it happens. And the thing that's even more astonishing is that the judge said to the driver, Joe's parents have recognized how this has affected you. I don't think I'd be thinking about how it had affected him. I'd be thinking about how it's affected me. I don't think most people would be going, oh, we feel bad for you that you're, you're upset that you killed someone. Most people would be like, no, you've killed someone. You should feel bad. You deserve to feel bad. But actually, Joe's parents, because they're Christians, because they're so aware of the mercy that Jesus Christ has shown to them, they were able to show mercy to this man who had taken their only daughter from them. And like I say, it's incredibly rare. I mean, if you think about it, where else do you hear the word mercy used? I bet you're not really hearing it in school or college or work. The word mercy, we don't really hear celebrities talking about it. We don't really hear politicians talking about it journalists don't really write about it other than in these kind of rare examples of where it happens so for many of us the only time we're hearing the word mercy is kind of maybe at new day or in our churches hopefully but even there sometimes we're not hearing about it as much as we should be because we are those of us in the room who follow jesus we are uniquely placed to be mercy bringers in the world around us it's what god has called us to God hasn't just shown us mercy so that we can enjoy it, although that's great, and we should enjoy it. He's also shown us mercy so that we get to bring it to those around us. And, you know, there are people in our society today that have been written off by everyone else, that the media will tell you they are just um, scrounging, they're on benefits, they're just trying to get something for free, they don't want to work, they don't deserve what they get. And... Our media will tell us that there are people who are coming here from other countries who just want to take our jobs and they don't deserve any help from us. Do you know what? That's all completely unbiblical because God is especially concerned about those that the rest of society would write off. And God has positioned us, the church, Christians, to be those who show mercy where no one else will show mercy. It's an amazing privilege. It's something that we get to do. It's not like, oh, we all have to go show mercy. No, it's we get to be like Jesus. We get to show mercy to those around us who aren't getting it from anyone else. You know, God is especially concerned that we show mercy to the poor and to the oppressed and to the broken and the vulnerable and the marginalized and to those that society would just write off and wouldn't want to show mercy to. If you ever think about Whoever it might be in your world who no one likes. I've got um, family members who I think actually they call themselves the black sheep of the family because they feel like no one likes them. No one wants to be around them. Actually, I'm the only Christian in my family. So God has called me to be the mercy bringer to the people who feel like the black sheep of the family. Maybe there's people in your um, school or college or workplace and everyone talks about them. And everyone makes plans to hang out, maybe on the weekends or whatever, and they wouldn't be invited. If there's a party going on, they wouldn't get an invitation. Do you know what? If you're the Christian in the room, God has called you to be the mercy bringer to that person that no one else is interested in showing mercy to. You know, in the Bible, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of verses about poverty and justice. Hundreds. You can actually buy a Bible called the poverty and justice bible and it highlights them all for you so if you're really lazy i'm a little bit lazy sometimes i just want to find things quickly in my bible I, you know you can obviously read the whole thing and that's a good thing to do but to look for these specific verses but you can buy this poverty and justice bible and it's highlighted them all for you and you can barely turn a page of the bible without something being highlighted such is god's concern about poverty and justice. You know, I became a Christian when I was 15. My family aren't Christians. And when I became a Christian, I didn't really know much about God. I didn't really know much about Jesus. And I thought that God in the Old Testament was just full of rules and regulations and didn't really care, um, didn't really have compassion on people. He just wanted to smite people, you know, like strike them down if they didn't do what he said they should do. If they didn't follow the rules, I thought God is just angry and he's against people. And then I thought, oh, and then you get to Jesus and Jesus is lovely. Isn't he? He's compassionate. He's kind. He's nice. So I basically thought that Jesus was like a nicer version of God the Father. Let me just tell you, in case you don't know, I was completely wrong about that. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. So whatever we see in Jesus is exactly true of God as well. And if you start to read your Old Testament, even some of the bits that we struggle with that maybe we find a bit boring some of the rules and regulations, what you will actually find is that God has always, always been especially concerned about the poor and especially concerned about foreigners coming into nations that aren't their own and especially concerned about widows and orphans and those who don't have much. If you look at the law of Moses, I'm not going to get you to turn to a load of passages, but I do want to skate through some and you can talk to me after or ask me questions for specific uh, Bible references. But in in the law of Moses... There are things that it says, like there were farmers who would go and they'd pick up all their crops. And obviously, if you're a farmer, you're making a living off the crops that you grow. Your natural instinct will be to pick up everything on the way. To make sure that if any crops, get, they fall behind, you're going to go back and you're going to pick them up. And in the law that God gave to Moses, he said, don't do that. He said, don't go and pick up every bit of grain that drops by the side. Leave it so that those who are poor and those who don't have food can go and get it. And they can have food. You know, in the law of Moses, it says, don't charge interest on loans. So in our, in our society, I've been talking to people over at our Jubilee Plus Stand who've said, well, you know, tell me a bit more about debt. And I'm saying, well, you know, some people have to borrow money to make ends meet. And the companies that lend to them charge them 4,000% interest, which means people get trapped in a cycle of debt that they have very little chance of getting out of. It's like if, if I say you come to me and you say, can you lend me a tenner? And I say, yeah, yeah, sure, I can, but you're going to have to give me back 50 quid. Most of you will go, well, that's a bad deal. I'm not going to do that. But imagine if you had to have that tenner because it was the only way you could eat and there was no way you could get food for the next week if you didn't have that tenor from me, at some point you would probably get so desperate that you would come to me and you'd go, Even though you're saying I've got to pay you back 50 quid, and even though I know I probably can never pay you back that 50 quid, I'm so desperate for the tenor so that I can eat that I will take it and I will agree to pay you 50 quid. And then I'd have you trapped, you'd be stuck owing me that money. Do you know what? If our society, that is what our society does, that is what companies do in this this country, they lend people money, but they make them pay back so much that it traps them for months or years. Debt is one of the biggest causes of suicide and marriage breakdown in this country. But the Bible says, don't charge interest when you lend people money. It is totally radical, it's totally countercultural. and if we did it God's way, our society would be so much better off than it is. Our suicide rates, particularly among men, would fall dramatically if we didn't charge interest on loans. What I'm trying to illustrate by just giving you a couple of examples is that God has always cared about this. It's always been in his heart. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the law of Moses. It's also in the prophets in the Old Testament. Just if you read the prophets, you can read any number of them and you will find God's heart for poverty and justice and for those who are poor and those who are vulnerable. But actually, specifically, if you look at Isaiah, in Isaiah 58, what God says is that true fasting is to feed the hungry and set free the oppressed. God actually is saying to his people in Isaiah, you say to me, you fast, and God, why aren't you answering? Why aren't you there? Kind of, Why aren't you doing what we want you to do? But actually, you're letting people be poor when you could help them. And actually, sometimes you're creating the poverty that people are in when you shouldn't be doing that. And so God is saying, kind of, don't come to me with your God. I'm fasting and I'm praying. If actually, at the same time, you're oppressing people and you're not feeding the hungry and you're not helping the foreigner. And some of this is really hard-hitting stuff. And some of it, if we're honest, we read it in our Bibles and we want to read really fast onto the next bit that tells us about how much God loves us, which is great. Because we just want to skip the bits that actually make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because if I'm honest with you, the more I read about this stuff in the Bible, the more uncomfortable I feel. Because the more I know God is calling me to act and to do something differently on the back of it. In Isaiah 61, you know, it says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to set free the captives, to bind up the brokenhearted. God's heart, it runs all through the Old Testament And then you get to the New Testament and you have writers like James. So Isaiah has told us, God has spoken through Isaiah and said true fasting is to help those who are poor and in need. And then we get to something like James who's writing a letter in the New Testament. And James says this is what true religion is. This is what true religion is. It's to actually help the widow and the orphan. And they're examples of people in poverty. It doesn't mean you only help the widow and the orphan. They're just examples that we are given. To say God cares about those who have no way to support themselves. God cares about those who are hungry. God cares about those who are in prison. God cares about those who are in debt. God cares about those who are in slavery. And if we're not persuaded from the Old Testament and we're not persuaded from the prophets and we're not persuaded from those who write letters in the New Testament, we only need to look at Jesus. Jesus spent most of his time with people that society wasn't interested in. We have so many stories of Jesus interacting with people who you think, actually, Jesus, do you know what they've done? That's what the religious people, what the Pharisees said to Jesus. You don't know who it is you're talking to. But Jesus seemed perfectly happy. In fact, he was perfectly happy to spend his time with those who were the outcasts of society. Those that society had no time for. So we see Jesus eating at the home of someone who was known as Simon the leper. What a nickname. Imagine that. Imagine if I said, hey, let me introduce my friend who's going to come through that um, door there. This is Simon the leper. Who's going to have them in their tent tonight? Most of us would probably start to edge a little bit away, wouldn't we? But Jesus goes to the home of Simon the leper and says... I'll eat with you and you know it's because when Jesus came there was this breaking in of heaven to earth this breaking in this invasion of heaven to earth where so often when we talk about things like that we talk about signs and wonders and miracles and healing and that's all brilliant I definitely want to see a load more of that but actually sometimes we miss the fact that this breaking in of heaven to earth also meant that the poorest of the poor were lifted up out of their poverty That those whose society would say, you've got no place here, keep away from us, you need to be ashamed of yourself, get to come right in, right into the centre, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and be friends with him. God's vision for those who are in poverty goes much beyond our vision. Sometimes our vision is, well, if you're hungry and I give you food, job done. Do you know what? When we look at passages like Isaiah 61, we see that's not job done. Because what Isaiah 61 goes on to say is that the people who are in poverty and who are vulnerable and who are oppressed are the ones that God wants to raise up to rebuild ancient ruins, to restore places that have been long devastated. You know where I'm from in Hastings? It's the 13th most deprived part of the country out of about 330 so we have high poverty. Every um, kind of league table you don't want to be at the top of, we are near the top. So for child abuse, for drug abuse, for male suicide rates, for uh, burglary, car crime, antisocial behavior, all these sorts of things, domestic violence, we are near the top of all those league tables. But God's word over Hastings, do you know, the Daily Mail once called Hastings Hell on Sea. That is the word of the Daily Mail over the town where I live. But do you know what the word of God over the town where I live is? It's no, those very people who are in need and in poverty are those that God is calling to be those who restore the place that's been long devastated. Those who are to renew and rebuild. And you know, when Jesus came, he started his entire ministry by referring to this passage in Isaiah 61. So in Luke 4, we read Jesus, he's handed the scroll in the synagogue. And he says, it says that Jesus looked for the place. It wasn't just that he randomly opened it and this passage from Isaiah was there. It says, Jesus found the place where it is written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bring freedom to the captives, to bring sight to the blind. And sometimes we can read a passage like that and think, well, Jesus was just talking about spiritual things. Maybe Jesus just meant he's going to set me free from my prison of sin. Maybe Jesus meant he's just going to bring sight to my eyes that are blind that couldn't see him and now they can. But actually we see in the life of Jesus, this had a literal uh, application. Jesus literally healed the blind, didn't he? He opened their eyes. Jesus literally set oppressed people, demonized people free. He literally took away the shame of people so when we read about this, this invasion of heaven to earth, we need to see that it's so much broader than often we talk about. You know, people who society wrote off, like prostitutes, for example, they, they felt comfortable around Jesus. Not only did they feel comfortable around him, they sought him out. They went after him. And you know, for us as Christians... Sometimes the people that society despises don't seek us out because they don't see how we're any different to those around us. But actually, like I said, we are called to be the mercy bringers. I want everyone around me who feels like no one cares about them to know that because I have Jesus in my life, I care about them. Don't you want that? For those around you who would think, I've got nowhere to turn, I've got no friends, I've got no one who cares about me. I've got no one I could ask to borrow a tenner from if I was desperate. If we're the Christians around them, don't we want them to know, actually, I'll go to that person. That's he or she, they'll be the one. They'll be the one that helps me. It's what we're called to. It's what we get this amazing privilege to do. And, you know, Jesus also, sometimes when we, if you're already here and you think, you know what, I've got a heart for the poor, you're like, everything I'm saying, you're just like, yes, yes, I already know this, I get it, I love it. Do you know what, sometimes we can then find it hard to actually be merciful towards those who have power or those who have great wealth. Sometimes they're the people we find it hard to mix with. But do you know what, Jesus called a tax collector into his group of disciples. Matthew was a tax collector. That would have meant he took money from his own people. It would have meant that the Romans who were oppressing the Jews and saying to Matthew, go get money from your own people and give it to us. Matthew wouldn't have had many friends because he was taking from his own people to give to the people who were oppressing them. And the way that tax collectors made their money was they just added a bit on top. They added a bit on top. They added a bit. They made a bit extra on the top of it. So if you wanted to get rich as a tax collector, what you do is you just add some on and charge them more. And so the people who didn't have much were being exploited by someone like Matthew and yet Jesus says to Matthew come follow me and not only that Jesus doesn't say to Matthew come follow me but kind of walk a couple of paces behind me stay at arm's length for a little while and once you've become a good person then you can get up close to me. No it says that Jesus went and ate with Matthew in his house with all his friends who were known as the sinners and the tax collectors. So again, those that society would have written off, and the sinners would have been people like um, gamblers and pimps and prostitutes and people like that who would have been there. And actually Jesus goes and sits down and eats with them. Sometimes, for those of us who've got a real heart for the poor, Jesus just wants to throw out this question to us of, who are you eating with? Because it's one thing to um, maybe give money to someone on the street who's asking for it. It's one thing to give some cans of food to your food bank. But actually, Jesus wants us to befriend those who are in poverty. He wants us to have among our friends those who don't have much. And, you know, that's kind of my story. When I became a Christian, um, when I was 15, I was from a family that by the government definition in this country of poverty, we were in poverty. So there were a load of things like um, I didn't realize until I was about 20 that, you know, having a passport was kind of like a thing that people did I'd never had a passport I didn't have one I didn't go on holidays abroad Um, I knew that people went on holidays abroad but I guess I just didn't really hadn't really thought through the passport side of things and when I became a Christian I'll be honest with you I didn't really know how to behave in church Uh, people in my church probably tell you I still don't maybe that's true but I didn't know so things like people started inviting me around for dinner and I didn't know how to eat food like other people, which probably sounds ridiculous to you, but, you know, um, or maybe some of you are like, yeah, no, I get this. I get this. I'm in the same boat. So I went to – I got invited around to dinner loads of times, and they would put, like, meat in one dish and potatoes in another and vegetables in another. I had never seen food served like that. I'd never been to dinner at anyone's house like that. And then they'd say to me, oh, you're the guest. You go first. And I'd be like, No inside. I'd be like, no, don't make me go first. I don't know. Are you supposed to take the food in a special order? Like, you know, some of you will be sitting here thinking, oh, just take, you know, this isn't hard. But for me, I'd never done it. I didn't know how much food are you supposed to take. So you look like you really want to eat the food that's been prepared for you, but you're not being greedy. I had no idea. So I would say to the people, oh, no, 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 you go first. That's okay. Thinking that then I could copy them. Then I could just see how they did it, and then I would be able to copy them. But, you know, nice, polite, middle-class Christians don't ever let the guests go second. So they'd be like, no, 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 you go first. And honestly, I used to feel such deep anxiety over it. I used to dread that moment. It's the same as when I used to go for dinner at people's houses, and I'd say, um, I knew, I think my parents had told me, when, if you go to dinner at someone's house, you're supposed to offer, like, to help with stuff. So I'd turn up and I'd say, can I help with anything? Thinking, please don't actually ask me to do anything, because I'm probably not going to know what you're asking me to do. And even things like, so I remember someone saying to me, okay, can you peel the potatoes? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I was like, "Uh, is there a particular way you like it done? Because I didn't want to say, I actually have never peeled a potato, I don't know how to do it. I didn't want to, I was embarrassed, I didn't want to say that, I was ashamed of it, so I thought, if I just say, is there a particular way you like it done, I was assuming there were loads of ways to peel a potato, I didn't know that really, there kind of is only one way, so they'd be like, they looked at me confused, and were just like, no, no, just go for it, and so I peeled the first one, and I was like, is that alright, and they're looking at me again, confused, yes, it's fine, it's peeled, I was like, okay, just checking, and To be honest, I'm still not great at peeling potatoes. Don't ask me to do that if I come around your house. But yeah, all I'm saying is that for some of us, this is is us. We've come in. I don't think when I was 15, I looked like a great candidate for Jesus to choose. I wasn't someone who was going, here I am, Jesus, pick me. I'm going to do amazing things for you. I was someone who had no clue about even some of the basics of life. And what that meant for me later on in life, even after I'd become a Christian, is I had no idea how to handle money. So I ended up um, in my mid-twenties, £26,000 in debt and with no way to pay it off. And I met with uh, with the leader of my church at the time. He said to me, uh, sit down with a solicitor in the church and they'll give you some financial advice. So I sat down with him and he said, I think the only option you have really is to declare yourself bankrupt. But my mum worked for a bank. My mum was like, do not dare declare yourself bankrupt because you will live with the consequences of that for years. She said it's going to stop you being able to get um, property later on. It's going to stop you being able to do all sorts of things. She was like, don't declare yourself bankrupt. And I was like, but mum, what am I going to do? I can't pay off this debt. And the professional advice I've had is that I should declare myself bankrupt. Anyway, a couple of weeks after that, I got a job. So I didn't declare myself bankrupt. But I just ask God, help me get good with money. Please help me get good with money and help me shift this debt. And actually, I'd love to tell you that like envelopes started coming through the door and I wiped out the debt. It didn't happen like that. God wanted me to learn the life skill of budgeting and being good with money so it took me a few good few years to pay it off there was miraculous provision in there because actually if you do the maths there's no way I could have paid it off as quickly as I actually did on the salary that I was on I think I paid it off in about six years from that moment but do you know what's astonishing and this is part of what I'm saying about in Isaiah 61 God's vision for those in poverty or those who are trapped in things like debt isn't just that they get set free so when I cleared my debt God didn't say to me okay great you and me, we're, we're done with that issue now. That's the end of it. No, I ended up going and getting trained on the cap. Christians Against Poverty, they got to stand out there. I got trained on their money course, how to deliver their money course. And I've now taught other people how to be good with money. And that is what God loves to do. God loves to take the things that we have been bad at, our own life experiences or the upbringing we've had and totally turn it around so that others can be blessed from it. So for me, being horrendous with money and really bad with debt, I find it hilariously funny that I'm now in church, you know, able to teach people how to handle their money well. But that's exactly what God loves to do. He loves to take the very people who say, I've struggled with this, I've been a victim of this, this is what's happened to me, and totally turn it around that they might bring others freedom and others release as well. Jesus met everyone with mercy. He did. He met everyone with mercy, especially those no one else cared about. So the tax collector, the prostitute, Simon the leper, Jesus met them all with mercy. And I've said that in the past in church, and someone said to me, well, what about the Pharisees? Did he meet with them with mercy? And do you know what? The answer is still yes, because Jesus spoke some harsh words to the Pharisees about how they were treating other people. But the motive of his harsh words was to try and draw them to repentance to try and draw them to God, to try and point out to them, you, you have all these outward trappings of being religious and following God, but it's not in your hearts. He wanted them to know that because they needed to know that in order for the door to be open that they might come to know him. And one of the things that Jesus accused the Pharisees of, he says to them, you tithe your um, mint and your herbs and your, you know, kind of you tithe of what you've got, but you've forgotten the weightier matters of justice and mercy. Jesus calls justice and mercy the weightier matters of the law. These are the important things that we mustn't neglect. You know what? Poverty in the UK is on the rise. On our stand over there, we've got these flyers. You may have seen I've got people with cardboard cardboard signs Handing them out. We've got these flyers. These are just four issues we picked to talk to you guys about at New Day, but there are loads more issues homelessness, modern slavery, food poverty, personal debt. In terms of homelessness, there will be 4,751 people sleeping rough on the streets of Britain tonight, and that number has gone up every year for seven years. And it's not just that. That's just people sleeping on the streets. But homelessness in terms of people who are in temporary accommodation, either sleeping on sofas in their friends' houses or um, in bed and breakfasts temporarily or in refuges or in places where they've got no permanent place to call their home, that number is 280,000 people in the UK. And it's on the rise. Many of you will know the stats around food banks. I'd imagine many of you in your churches have food banks or you've got food banks in your local area. The fact that now we're well over a million food parcels, close to a million and a half food parcels being given out every year. Where where I'm from in Hastings, we've had an 82% increase in food bank use last year compared to the year before. Because poverty in this country is growing. And God cares about it. And it's not just that God cares about it in the way of, well, he wants us to run food banks and stuff, which he does. But he cares about it and he wants us to be the mercy bringers. He wants us to be the answer as Christians individually and as churches. You know, in my town, there are certain situations like, for example, violent crime where the police and the council and the fire service and all these organisations are sitting around scratching their heads going, we have had this problem for years, it's going up, we've tried this, we've tried that, we've tried this other thing. None of those things have worked, what should we do? And they come out of those meetings deciding to just do exactly the same things they already tried before. But actually those of us who have the Holy Spirit, you know the Bible says if you're a Christian you've got the mind of Christ and that we've got the Holy Spirit living with us. So actually we should expect that we can come up with solutions to problems in our communities that no one else can come up with. You know if I sit in a meeting with the police and the council and the fire service and probation and youth offending teams and if there's no other Christian in the room then I'm the only one in that room who has access to the mind of Christ who can say Jesus what's your answer to this problem? And for some of you, that'll be true in your workplaces, in your schools, in your colleges, wherever you find yourself, maybe in your family, maybe in your family. Maybe there's a problem that's just been going on in your family. And maybe you're not the only Christian in your family, but still, you might be the only one who says, okay, Jesus, your word says I've got the mind of Christ and I've got the Holy Spirit, so talk to me, give me an answer to this problem. God is calling us to bring mercy because you know what? Our society would tell us that most of the people in poverty in this country they're in poverty because it's their fault that's what the media would tell us that's what our politicians tell us it's what our society thinks you know the american dream have you heard of the american dream which basically tells you if you just work hard enough you will be successful and you'll be okay and it sounds great doesn't it because we like to think that we're masters of our own destiny we like to think that if we work hard enough we could get ourselves out of any situation but do you know what Saying if you just work hard enough, you'll succeed, it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that sometimes bad things happen to people for no reason that's their fault. You can read in the Old Testament about Job who lost everything and he didn't do anything. It wasn't because he did something wrong, he just lost everything. At the same time, the Bible doesn't pretend that some people aren't in poverty because of their own bad decisions, but the response of God to people is always mercy. Because God's not looking at, well, what have you done? Tell me what you've done, and then I'll decide whether to show you mercy. God is saying, I am merciful, therefore I want to show you mercy. It's a totally different starting place. And for us as Christians, so often we can go along with what society says, and we can, someone might come and ask us for help, and they, and they say, can you help me? And I go, part of me is like wanting to know, well, what are you going to do with the help I give you? Have you ever done that where you walk past someone on the street who's asking for money? And you think to yourself, I don't know whether to give you money because I don't know what you'll spend it on. You might spend it on alcohol or drugs, and I don't think that's a good idea, so I'm I'm not sure I'll give you money. But you know, as Christians, we're called to be different to society. And the question we're called to ask isn't, do you deserve my help? It's how can I show you the mercy that God has shown me? It's a fundamentally different question. So when we see people facing poverty, yes, we want to be wise about the sort of help that we give to people, But actually, sometimes we use wisdom as an excuse to not help at all. Sometimes we go, oh, no, I just want to be wise. I'm just going to walk away. Actually, we're called to be mercy bringers. So even if you don't give money to the person on the street, you can still show them mercy. Maybe you ask them their story. Maybe you have a chat with them. Actually, I'd recommend that anyway. One of the practical applications from if you've got a heart for the poor, you want to get a heart for the poor ask people their stories. Because, you know, there's a homeless guy in Hastings who I've got to know a bit over the last few years. And it started with me buying him a sandwich. But then I sort of said to him, do you mind if I ask, how did you end up on the streets by asking for money? And he told me about, you know, while I was giving him, while I was helping him, someone else had walked past and said, don't help him. He's got a flat. And I was like, okay, that's a bit weird. It's a bit weird for someone to walk past you in the street and say, don't help that guy, he's got a flat. And I asked this guy his story, and when he told me his story, he said that until he was in his early 40s, he'd had a job, he'd been living with his girlfriend, his life was good, and then he had a stroke when he was 42 years old. And it had totally changed the course of his life. He'd lost everything. Through a series of circumstances after his stroke, he had lost his home, he'd lost his girlfriend, he'd lost his job, he'd lost everything. And he said to me, it is true what that woman said. I have got a flat. But he said, there's nothing in it. He said, the only thing in it is a mattress. And he said, so I've got no way to cook food. I've got nowhere to store, you know, I like haven't got a fridge, so I can't have milk. He's like, I've got, I've got nothing in that place except a mattress. And then when you hear a story like that, it allows God space to do, to do something in your own heart of compassion. Because you know, so often when we look to help people, we're thinking about how can I help you? And God's thinking, I want to do something in you. I want to change your heart. I want to shape your heart. God has called us to those who are poor. God has called us to people no one else wants to help. We had a guy come to our food bank in November, and he said to me, no other organization will help me because I've basically abused all the help I've been given. He said to me, I've threatened um, violence, against he's got mental health problems he said I've threatened violence against people who work for the NHS and so now whenever I turn up there and ask for help everyone kind of walks away from me because they don't want to get involved he said I've also threatened to sue them when they've tried to restrain me when I've been trying to be violent so now they're afraid of me because they think I'm either going to be violent or I'm going to sue them and he said I've been sleeping on my friend's sofas and I've stolen money from every single one of them so now none of them will have me back he's like I feel like I've got nowhere to turn but he was honest about the fact, you know, he'd made really, really bad decisions. He wasn't trying to pretend to me that, you know, life's just hard and I haven't done anything wrong. He was telling me I've stolen from people, I've been violent, I've threatened to sue them. I've Basically, he was saying I've made, I've made this situation, I've made my bed and now I'm lying in it. And he came to us for help and I tried to get him help. And I phoned six different organisations trying to get him help and none of them would help him. Every single one of them said to me, we know him. And either we can't help him or we won't help him anymore. Some of them said, we're done with him. We've helped him a lot. We can't help him anymore. Some of them said to me, like, um, the council's housing department said, he's not eligible for housing support. And I said, well, why not? And they wouldn't tell me because I'm not related to him. But they said, this is in November, right? They said, if the temperature drops below freezing for three nights in a row, then we will have to give him somewhere to stay. But until that happens... We, we, we can't help him. And I said, but he's wearing a hoodie and jeans. If um, he sleeps in below freezing temperatures for three nights in a row, he'll probably die. And they were like, our hands are tied. There's no flexibility in the system. We are not allowed to help him unless that happens. And so I'm thinking for this guy, if he doesn't have the church to turn to, where else is he going to go? We were able to help him because we're able to take our mercy and our compassion beyond where other organizations can take it. And he's come back to us several times. And do you know one of the first things he said to me when I met him for the first time? He said, if I have to hurt you to get help, I will. That's one of the first things he said to me. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I probably, I'm quite little. I don't know how I'm going to defend myself if he tries to hurt me. But you know what? I think when someone says that to you and you go, no, I'm going to help you anyway. I'm not going to run away from you. You've got to be sensible about these things. But my point is that we can bring mercy where others can't bring it. We can bring mercy beyond where everyone else can bring it. How do we do it? What should you do going away from here if you want to um, grow in your heart for the poor or grow in being a mercy bringer? or, Or maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I've got this at all. I want to get it for the first time. We don't become kind and generous and compassionate and merciful just by hearing talks like this. It doesn't happen even by giving a talk like this. It happens by we have to cultivate it. We have to actively say to God, I want this to grow in my life. Give me opportunities. You know, one guy I know he knew that money was really important to him and he struggled to give money away and he he was really obsessed with material possessions. So he had loads of branded T-shirts and he spent like 400 pounds on a pair of trainers. And one day he just felt God speak to him and say, you know, this isn't cool. This isn't okay. And he said, so for a year, he would only buy something if he could afford to buy two and give the second one away. And he did that with absolutely everything. So a cinema ticket, a cup of coffee, um, his shopping... And he said, I'll never spend 400 pounds on a pair of trainers again, because what I realized is I don't want to buy anyone else a pair of trainers worth 400 quid. It did something in his heart that changed the relationship with money in his life. So if, you, if you're thinking, you know what, I, I want to be generous. I know I see Jesus and I see this generosity in the early church and I want to be like that. But actually, money is quite important to me and I don't like to give it away you know maybe you're thinking about you've heard about the offering on saturday night and you're thinking oh, i'm really struggling because i don't want to i'd rather get a few more milkshakes i'd rather do this i'd rather do that with it just say to god god give me opportunities to be generous i'm working my heart when god started giving me a heart for the poor i started setting aside only 5 pounds a month and i was working i wasn't a teenager <laughs> i was working i was earning a salary but what god was able to do in my heart through just me setting aside 5 pounds a month that I would always use to help someone in need, it, it just it, it, it grew compassion, it grew generosity. And let me just warn you, if you start doing that, God won't limit it. He won't go, okay, now you're doing your five or a month, that's fine, okay, we're, we're done with that issue in your life. My story has been that it's grown and grown, and I'm sure when you hear Steve's story, you're going to think, wow, um, in terms of generosity... Look for opportunities to do good to people. Think about the people in your family or your youth group or your church or your school or your college or your workplace or wherever it may be that you're, wherever you are during the week. Who can I be kind to that no one else is kind to? Because that's how it starts. How can I be kind to someone? How can I, even if it means that other people are mean to me, how can I be kind to someone that no one else is kind to? Set aside money. One of the things you can do is come and grab some of these flyers because they have on the back of them three facts about each issue, three things you can pray, and three things you can do. So if you want a starting place, grab some of these, and and they'll just help you pray and and know some stuff and actively do some stuff. Uh, There's a book that I've co-written with um, a guy I work with at Jubilee Plus, Church for the Poor. It's in the bookshop just to help you get heart for actually church is supposed to be where these people come who are the rebuilders of the devastated places. Um, But also one of the things we're doing at Jubilee Plus is we're offering grants to you. So if you've got an idea for a project, so um, last summer a youth group had an idea for a project where they knew that there were homeless women um about eight to ten homeless women on the street around their church building and so they were like it wouldn't it be great if we could put together toiletry bags for those women particularly with like uh tan packs and sanitary towels in those packs because period poverty is a huge issue with women not being able to get access to those things which are quite expensive but if you're a woman are essential to you so they were like if we had a grant we could start we could put together packs for those women they got a 50, pa- a 50 pound grant just 50 quid did these toiletry bags for these eight to ten women and their youth group's now been doing that for a whole year because the youth really got inspired and really wanted to do that and bless those women in that way for the whole year so we've got youth grants available of 50 quid so if you've got an idea but you think I don't know how to I don't know how to start it grab one of these from our table through there take it back to your youth leader fill it out If there's five of you from here from the same youth group, you can all have a different idea, you can all put it in and then Jubilee Plus might send you a £50 grant so you can get something off the ground and just start letting God do some work in your heart. I think the the key thing I want to communicate though is that if you start saying to God, help me to be a mercy bringer, it's not a prayer God is reluctant to answer. He is going to rush in so you want to be prepared for this. He is going to rush in and he is going to give you opportunities to be a mercy bringer. I find almost most days there'll be something that happens, whether it's someone who upsets me about something, whether it's someone I know or it's a stranger who I can help, God is bringing people along, giving me an opportunity to grow in mercy. Because do you know what? Jesus said this in um, Luke 6, verse 36. Jesus said to his followers, be merciful just as your father is merciful. So if someone comes to you and they say, can you help me? And you're like thinking, well, I don't know if you deserve it. Did you make your own situation? Do you know what? Jesus never says to us, you made your bed go lie in it. He never says that. He comes in with mercy like a flood for us. And we get the opportunity to do likewise for people around us, especially those who have nothing and who no one else cares about. Okay, we'll finish there and um, take Q&A. Now,
0: you can definitely applause. You're about to. I heard you do it. <laughs> Okay, so I think the best way to do this was the way we did it on day one, which is if you just turn to the people where there's little threes and fours, and if you have one question on the back of this, what would that be? So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to turn to the people around you, and then we'll take some questions from those different little groupings. But from what you've heard, um, what would you love to now ask? So do it quickly, and then we'll get through some of those questions. From what you've heard, what would you love to ask? Right. Okay, Who, which group have... Def- bring your conversation to a close? Who has definitely got a question that's burning? Yep, you were first. Go for it. So if you didn't hear it, how do you keep yourself grounded and how do you keep yourself safe when
1: you're going into these tough situations? Safe or sane? Sane. 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 Grounded and sane. I think um, one of the things that we tend to do in Hastings, whether people are involved in the food bank or um, our baby basics project or debt advice, whatever, is... We all have someone who we will go and talk to about. So often like one of our food bank uh, leaders will come to me after a session and say, I just need to unload. I need to uh, kind of tell you what's happened. I need to tell you particularly about the person who really upset me. Either their story has just made me feel devastated for them or they were really aggressive and now I'm struggling with my own heart towards them. So we would have accountability. I think we would make sure that we're making a point of talking to it. I think having people like praying for you and um, especially if you're kind of at the front face of, of speaking with people and, and having people who are, um, have very broken lives in your life a lot, then you've got to have an outlet for where you will talk about what's going on, where you'll have people pray, where you'll and just keep coming back to God. I know it it sounds really like a kind of the easy answer, but it isn't. that the getting before God, praying through every person you encounter, praying through their situation, giving it to God and knowing which bits his to do and which bits yours to do. For me I found that massively helpful. So even like today, you know, doing a talk like this, I can think It's my responsibility to persuade everyone in the room that God's got a real heart for the poor and then you've all got to go and do great things, but it's not because only God can work in your hearts. And that's the same. Only God can bring that real transformation to people's lives. We can help people. We can point to Jesus, but it's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is, have I been merciful? Have I been kind? Have I been generous? Have I been like Jesus? And if I've done that, even if they walk away, and, and they're not interested, or their life gets worse, or whatever. There are bits I can't do. So, making sure I'm giving it back to God, going, God, you do your bit. Someone um, I know who worked in the townships in South Africa taught me this that you, you say, No, God, you do your bit. You do the bit that you say you'll do, because I'm not God. I can't do that. So, I think people and God are kind of, yeah, yeah, what I'd say. That's
0: great. Next question. Who are, yeah, you are next. So like fast hands. Yeah, that's
1: a really, really good question. One of the most difficult things, I think, if you carry a heart for the poor and poverty and justice issues is that you're probably going to get annoyed with everyone around you who doesn't. Like, just going to be honest with you. And that's where we need to remember we're called to bring mercy to the people who don't get it as well. We're not just merciful to the poor. Jesus was merciful to all those around him. So firstly, it's praying for them. Firstly, it is saying, "God, I give them to you." They're, I'm not saying this is, it, in your church situation. Maybe you love them all dearly and they don't frustrate you. But sometimes it is it is going, "God, I give you them," because again, only you can speak into their heart and persuade them. So, in my church, I started working for my church seven years ago, and we didn't have eight projects that you know about this. But actually, my lead elder was open to voices not just mine but others in the church as well going we really think we're missing something in the gospel here and so he was open now of course we can't make him be open but god can so i've been regularly praying for him for seven years and he knows this and he's, he's on site so i can you know, get away with saying it um that i've been praying for him and i keep praying god lead him deeper into this let him be reading his bible and let verses smack him in the face about it like literally that's what i want to happen but i also want to honor my leaders and honor those around me while at the same time holding on to whatever God's put on my heart there's a woman in my church I'll just very quickly tell you the story who 12 years ago God gave her a dream about helping um, victims of mon slavery and she had to hold that dream for eight years before anything happened and she came and met with the leaders of the church and they were like yeah no we support you but a bit like what you're saying they're like we're for you God bless you no idea no, it wasn't that they didn't want to help actually they had no idea how they were like we don't know what to do about modern slavery but she kept going she gathered a small group uh, most of the time i think there were three of us in the room sometimes it got as big as 12 but mostly it was three of us praying god open the door to us how can we help victims of slavery in our area um nothing happened for eight years sorry if that's a bit depressing um But then what happened was suddenly the door opened. And so if you come to Hastings, I could introduce you to police officers who will tell you that three or four years ago they thought that slavery wasn't an issue in Hastings and that now, because of my church, they have identified over 300 victims of slavery in three years. And they've opened a whole office in our police station dedicated to tackling the issue of slavery. And they would tell you none of this would have happened without King's Church Hastings. They are at the heart of everything that we've done. We've trained over 400 police officers and counsellors and firemen and women to spot the signs of human trafficking. And it's whacked it massively up their agenda. So what, the reason I tell you that story is because the woman in my church, Anna, had to hold that vision from God for much longer than she was comfortable with. And also got frustrated with God because you're like, well, why put something on? my heart God if you're not going to let me do it she had no idea about the doors that were going to fling open to us so there's a waiting patiently there's an honoring your leaders there's an honoring God there's an honoring the vision he's given you but walking and also interacting with other people who are doing what you want to do so I can help you connect if you want to talk after about whatever it is with other people so you can go to your church and go well this is how they're doing it could we do it that way
0: one more got one more whoa that was very quick it's that quick draw you can come afterwards and ask one but yeah go for it Right. So if you live in a community where people are really struggling, housing and food, and it seems to be everywhere, where do you start? Like, How do you, how do you c- tackle a community like that?
1: It's a great question. I think if you're living in that community, that's step one. The fact that you're there, you know, because I think so often those types of places don't, aren't places that Christians move to. They're not places that Christians live. Most of us are on an upward trajectory of moving into nicer homes, nicer areas, um, you know, people who've got kids want their kids to go to nicer schools. So actually, if you're living there, that's, that's kind of half the battle, I would, I would say. I think that um, there's a Mother Teresa quote that says um, something about helping the person in front of Start with the person in front of you. And that's what you need to do. Like, basically, it's saying to God, this need around me is overwhelming. Give me the first person to come and ask for help give me the first person to walk with then give me the second person when i can handle it and do you know what god knows what we can handle god doesn't tend to so i said to you we've had this 82 percent increase in my food bank in the last year well the food bank's been running for six years if we'd had that volume in year one we would have closed we wouldn't have been able to cope with it but god has gradually built it up and helped us so i think it's saying to god who is the one person or the one family or the one household that i can start with Where can I start, God? Give me someone to help. And I think it is also thinking about what are other people doing in those communities that is easy to do? Are there enough people in the community who, you know, food banks have started on the basis of saying to people, everyone can probably bring a tin of food. Not everyone can, but a lot of people can. So that's a way to help a lot of people. So you might think, well, instead of doing a food bank, if people are struggling for food, asking everyone you know who has got money, to just donate one or two or three things and then inviting the community, come and you can pick up one or two things per household just to give a bit extra. So there are ways of doing things like that that I think are really practical. But I definitely think in terms of praying, ask God to give you the first person, family or household that you can, you can help.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Um, so remember that we're going to come to a close here. We are three days in now to, to like a five-part series and it's very deliberately designed in that it's the planting of churches and the understanding from the New Testament of why churches were planted and how they operated. Yesterday was the, the sharing of the good news, the sharing of the gospel. And today is really the practical outworking of the good news in, in reaching one. We believe these three things could go in one talk and five talks and... 10,000 talks and there's this sense of we're looking at the gospel through all of these lenses and tomorrow is reaching the nations love you to join us again and then the last day is hearing from God and uh and hearing what God might say to you we're going to have Livy back um really strong prophetic gifting going to be teaching into how do you hear God how do you hear what God might say and what God might be leading you into and then there's one more
1: I just wanted to say, for those of you who want to go, absolutely fine because we're finishing. Yeah. But actually, if you're thinking, do you know what? I really do want to be a mercy bringer and I really do have a heart for the poor. I'd love you to maybe come stand here and I'd just love to pray for whoever falls into that camp. So yeah. I just didn't want to miss the opportunity to, yeah, 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 to yeah, yeah, pray. Yeah. So should why don't we you, do why don't, that now?
0: Why don't you, if you know this is laid on your heart, if you know this for you is... Uh, there's something more, your heart's going for this and and you really would love to be prayed for. Why don't you stand and then we'll ask Natalie to pray over you where you are. So why don't you stand now and and we'll hold that, just hold that moment.
1: Whatever you feel comfortable to do, whether it's lift your hands, close your eyes, whatever basically gets you in a posture where you feel you can receive from God and be focused on him, go ahead and do that. Jesus, we are so grateful that you are the merciful one. Thank you that you care about those that society would write off. Thank you that you care about those no one else has any compassion for. Thank you that you, are, you will hunt down the one to rescue them. Thank you, Jesus. We love who you are. We love your heart, and we just want to be like you. We do. Thank you that you have called us to be merciful, just as our Father in heaven is merciful. And God, I pray for everyone who stood, everyone who wants to receive from you right now. God, would you do so What deep, deep work in their hearts. I thank you that many who are standing already know that sense of call from you already. You've been doing stuff in their hearts, but I pray that today would be a, a marking point for them of where you do something even deeper, where you call them to something even more radical, where you enlarge their vision, you enlarge their dreams. God, I pray that you will give everyone who has responded an opportunity, even in the next week, whether that's at New Day or when they go home, to be more kind than they would have naturally been, to be more generous than they would have naturally been, to be more merciful and compassionate. I pray give give us all opportunities to show your kindness and your mercy and your grace to people around us, especially those that no one else wants to show it to, God. I just pray you'd anoint each one here for what you've called them to do. Let them be a mercy bringer in Jesus' name. Amen.